Good evening. Travel is restricted for India as COVID-19 cases and deaths soar. Biden heckled by the left and a concert in Tompkins Square Park. Did things get out of hand? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, April 30th, 2021. Disneyland reopened on Friday and cruise lines welcomed the news that they could be sailing again in the United States by midsummer as the number of Americans fully vaccinated against COVID-19 reached another milestone. 100 million. The announcement was made today by White House Coronavirus Response Director Jeff Zients. That's 100 million Americans with a sense of relief and peace of mind, knowing that after a long and hard year, they're protected from the virus, knowing their decision to get vaccinated protects not just themselves, but also protects their families, their friends, and their communities around the country reflect increasing optimism as COVID-19 deaths tumble and the ranks of the vaccinated grow. A stark contrast to the worsening disasters in India and Brazil and the scant availability of vaccines in many poor parts of the world. Meanwhile, the United States announced restrictions on travel from India starting May 4th. With 386,452 new cases, India has reported 18.7 million cases since the pandemic began, second only to the United States. The health ministry on Friday also reported 3,498 deaths in the last 24 hours, bringing the total to 208,330. Experts believe both figures are an undercount, but it's unclear by how much. Vice President Kamala Harris addressed the pandemic's deadly sweep across India today. We as a country have made a commitment to the people of India to support them and and we've made already a commitment in terms of a dollar amount that will go to PPEs and a number of other things but it is tragic and my prayers go to the to the people and the suffering that's the the blatant suffering that is happening does it give you any concern about how their experience could affect what's happening in the United States concerning COVID well I mean we are all part of a world community (laughs) And to the extent that any of us as human beings who have any level of compassion see suffering anywhere around the world, it impacts all of us. As Vice President Kamala Harris, other restrictions are in place on travel from China, Iran, the European Union, the United Kingdom, the Republic of Ireland, Brazil and South Africa, which are or have been hotspots for the coronavirus. A reporter with the Times of India, Raul Sabrawal, spoke with WBAI from New Delhi. He says India reopened too soon when they thought they had the virus licked. The country by and large thought that we were over the worst of it. But the second wave seems to be far more aggressive. There are more people falling sick. We are seeing almost a million cases every four days. That obviously has put a lot of strain on the healthcare system. We are seeing people who need hospital beds not getting hospital beds. We are seeing people who need oxygen at home or in the hospital not getting oxygen. We are seeing uh, a shortage of ICUs. So many people who need to get critical care are not getting critical care. Uh, There are cases of uh, occasionally of people, uh, you know, dying outside the hospital because they couldn't get help on time. So, uh, so the story that's playing out right now is a tremendous strain on the healthcare infrastructure and how uh, authorities are trying to grapple with that. Did the government fail the people of India? Did the Modi government fail? And, is, and in ter- terms of that, has there been a, a problem with free speech and being on the Internet and saying the kind of things you're saying now? I don't think 
the free speech a bit ties into this crisis because online there is massive mobilization i don't see any sort of crackdown on that there are two sorts of governments here right one is at the center and the other is state governments there has of course been some complacency that can be attributed to both there are obviously expert opinions that when there was a lull after the first wave should more have been done to bolster our healthcare setup and there are questions on whether complacency set in and we celebrated too soon prematurely thinking that the worst is behind us both the central government and the state governments there are questions being raised on whether more should have been done especially to bolster our healthcare system that is why people are dying what's wrong with the healthcare system there are government hospitals which are free of cost and there are private hospitals where of course you go and you pay both are out of hospital beds essentially what's happening is if a patient at let's say oxygen saturation 85 needs to get admitted there are no beds so the crisis right now is getting inside the hospital a lot of people who need hospitalization are having to stay at home or they are traveling between hospitals and ambulances so the main crisis is of beds just running out and doctors are working 14 16 hours to deal with this crisis so the key crisis is of a shortage of beds a shortage of oxygen that's being seen right now a shortage of icus in delhi right now there are less than a dozen icus left so that is the crisis that we are facing right now india provides a large percentage of the vaccines and manufactures them in india do you feel in india the people feel that they've done so much for the rest of the world are they getting enough back enough help back very recently the us also said that they will provide whatever help they can and so are the countries so i believe the nations are running behind india now is it better late than never we don't know but that's has to be dealt with at diplomatic levels dozens of countries are using our vaccines right now so i believe they feel that that reciprocity has to exist but you can see the irony in that it's being brought up in the news a lot that here's the biggest manufacturer and they're getting shafted a bit the number of cases we are seeing every day no other country has seen even foreign response could it have been a little more prompt well certainly people are dying when you see that you have to rush in to help it is a humanity it is a it is a crisis that we're facing but uh, but i i think that foreign help is forthcoming how many people have died do you think i mean is it that's one of the reports here is that there's no way of keeping track so many people die at home you can't really keep track of all the people who've died of course there are going to be death that happened at home and where you don't have a certificate hospital certificate which says it was a covid death so that may be a slightly gray area you go to the crematorium and you will be treated as a covid suspected death as opposed to a covid death the only way around it is to test more uh, if we are testing more people we will know for sure that more people who died had covid shortage of testing testing has to be ramped up right now since thousands and thousands of people are testing positive every day testing facilities are quite overwhelmed many lab technicians who go home to collect samples many of them are sick right now so a lab that was let's say collecting 10000 samples in a day is down to half so that is something that we've seen in fact in the national capital where we were testing 100000 people a day till about 10 days ago now we're down to 70000 75000 so testing capacity has reduced and the only way out to get an accurate representation of the picture is to test more that's what dr fauci also has said in the us that we need to just test more to get a clearer idea of the problem
Raul Sabarwal is a reporter with the Times of India. He joined us from New Delhi. Just minutes after the White House released the new restrictions on travel from India, the State Department said it had approved more than $2.4 billion in arms sales to the country, which the United States believes will be a critical counterbalance to China. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi has said the surge in COVID-19 infections marked a once-in-a-century crisis and a big challenge for the world. And back home, marking the 100th day in office, President Joe Biden touted Stacey Abrams as a potential future president in a visit to Georgia today, uh, yesterday. In a speech in Duluth, Georgia, Biden said Abrams could be anything she wants to be from whatever she chooses to president. But as Biden spoke at the rally, he was confronted by a group of hecklers shouting, end detentions now and abolish ICE. And most of all, I want to thank you, the people of Georgia. We'll give you a microphone. I agree with you. I'm working on it, man. Give me another five days. Folks, y'all know what they're talking about. There should be no private prisons, period. None, period. That's what they're talking about, private detention centers. They should not exist, and we are working to close all of them. And before the president paused his remarks, protesters called out, we vote for we voted for you, too. And our families are dying as a group held a wide orange banner facing the stage. They were eventually escorted out by staff. The American Civil Liberties Union has urged the Department of Homeland Security to immediately shutter dozens of immigration and customs enforcement detention centers, including a facility in Georgia where a nurse filed a whistleblower complaint alleging detainees had their uteruses removed without their consent. And earlier this week, the International Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Violence Against People of African Descent in the United States issued a long-awaited report. Although the United States government apparently did everything possible to delay and quash results of a year-long study into police violence, the commissioners concluded that the systematic police killings of black people in the U.S. constitutes a prima facie case, as an obvious on-the-face case, of crimes against humanity. And they asked the, pres- the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, or ICC, to initiate an investigation of responsible police officials. These crimes against humanity under the ICC's Rome Statute include murder, severe deprivation of physical liberty, torture, persecution of people of African descent, and inhumane acts causing great suffering or serious injury to body or mental or physical health. An international human rights lawyer, Kerry McLean, is spokesperson for the commission that wrote the report. She says that 12 members of the commission come from a diverse group of countries, from Japan to Jamaica and South Africa to France, and came together despite U.S. opposition. Last June, a coalition of hundreds of civil society organizations and individuals sent a communication to the U.N. Human Rights Council demanding a special session be held to talk about racist police violence in the United States and asking the Human Rights Council to establish a commission of inquiry to investigate racist police violence in the United States. In an unprecedented move, 
the African group of the United Nations, which is the 54 member countries of the United Nations, sent their own communication telling the Human Rights Council that they wanted the UN to hold a special session. And that this was important because once you have all of those countries actually requesting a special meeting about this, then the Human Rights Council has to do it. And this was a really big deal. Nothing like that had been done before. There were lots of different countries weighing in, but we heard from our contacts at the UN that the US government threatened countries and told them not to support the establishment of a commission of inquiry. So this was something that the US government did not want. At the end of the session, they did their vote and they had their deliberations and it was decided that they would not establish a commission of inquiry. Though they did task the UN High Commissioner on Human Rights on writing a report. So after that happened last year, the National Conference of Black Lawyers, the National Lawyers Guild, and the International Association of Democratic Lawyers decided to establish a commission of inquiry and to respond to the demand that the community had made. We spent a lot of time just discussing the structure and goals and all of that, but we tried to make sure that it was all in line with what the people had asked for in the letter and also the things that were discussed in the UN Human Rights Council urgent debate and the resolution that came out of it. What did this report find about police brutality in the United States? There are 12 commissioners, none of whom are from the United States. They're legal experts from Europe, Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. And so they made an independent and impartial investigation. They found that the U.S. is guilty of the violation of numerous international laws. And really, most notably, they found that the U.S.'s violations constitute crimes against humanity. I urge people to take a look at the report where it's discussed. What does that mean? Where does this lead next? A finding of crimes against humanity or an allegation of that could go before the ICC, but the issue is that the U.S. won't submit to that jurisdiction, right? One of the recommendations that we make to the Biden administration is to submit to such jurisdiction. We know that it's not likely, but it is something that we're calling for. Um, But that's where it would normally go, yes. What's the takeaway from this? It's not something new that people take matters to international arenas. It's just normally not done to the U.S., but it's done in Europe. There's a European Court for Human Rights where any EU member country is subject to its jurisdiction and they have to obey whatever that court decides. So it's not a new concept. It's just something new for the U.S. And that is a story on the report that just came out on the Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Violence Against People of African Defense in the United States. And we were listening to an international attorney and commission member, Kerry McLean. Indoor dining, meanwhile, uh, and you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Indoor dining in New York City will expand from 50 to 75 percent capacity on May 7th. That's according to Governor Andrew Cuomo. The move puts the city's indoor dining rules in line with the rest of the state. Salons and barbershops will also be permitted to expand to 75 percent capacity on that date. Cuomo also announced gyms and fitness centers will expand to 50 percent capacity beginning May 15th. The loosening of restrictions comes as the city's COVID-19 infection rate declines and the number of vaccine doses administered climbs above 6.3 million. Mayor Bill de Blasio announced yesterday he wants the city to fully reopen on July 1st, but Governor Andrew Cuomo says it's not de Blasio's decision to make, indicating that he'd like for the city to reopen sooner.
Meanwhile, the city council voted on Thursday to make the open streets program launched a year ago during the pandemic permanent. The vote was 39 to 8. Under the bill, open streets will be overseen by the Department of Transportation or local community organizations who can apply to manage the programs in their neighborhoods. But even as New York City comes out of more than a year of masks and lockdowns, there's still controversy over basic practices, as was illustrated in Tompkins Square Park on the Lower East Side last weekend. And that's the uh, punk hardcore band Murphy's Law playing in Tompkins Square Park. Thousands of punk and hardcore music fans descended on Tompkins Square Park on April 24th for an event that featured performances by five bands and raised $6,000 in donations for the New York City Burn Center Foundation. No incidents were reported, but widespread criticism ignited immediately after the event. Detractors noted the massive assembly, the lack of masking and social distancing and other uniquely COVID-era infractions, rising controversy over this event may threaten the future of similar events. The events have been going on in the park for years. The difference between this past Saturday afternoon was that the turnout was huge. Possibly upward of 2,000 were in the park during the event. The owner-operator of the group Black and Blue Productions that put on the event is Joseph Camerata. He says fans of the music are not responsible for the actions at a concert that was free and open to all. If you believe in vaccinations, vaccinate. There was no talk of not wearing masks. Of course, there are jokes between friends about wearing three masks and four masks. But no, there was there was nothing involved as far as anti-vaccine, anti-mask, not so whatsoever. Because plenty of our close friends and our family from that scene were masked and vaccinated. So that's not the case. There seemed to be some conflict over whether or not the permit was properly followed as far as the numbers of people that were supposed to be there. And there was some mention that whoever made out the permit said it was a 9-11 event and it really wasn't. But at the same time, you also you can bring up that from my understanding is there was some money raised for the burn unit. So tell us a little bit about that part of the controversy. Black and blue has nothing to do with the application. Uh, it could have said Barnum and Bailey Circus on the application. As far as the theme, it, it wouldn't have made a difference. That's why this whole 9-11 thing, if people use their brain and think, it's really irrelevant what was on the permit as far as the theme. It wasn't like the 9-11 excuse got us any leeway. It wasn't like we were advertising for 9-11. What we were advertising for was a music event, okay, to discuss, you know, to have our, our freedom of seeing music outside in an open park, and also the proceeds to the New York City Burn Center Foundation. 9-11 wasn't even a, a discussion at once. It didn't benefit or help the show happen at all. It really makes zero sense. This is just an obvious smear campaign by the evil part of the media. This wasn't like a January 6th at the Capitol. This wasn't like a MAGA hat-wearing mob. Of, <laughs> it wasn't you know, a blue with, blue line matter type well, of thing. Well, or for that matter, blue, no. black lives matter. Somebody said banned lives matter or something like that. Unfortunately, you can't control who comes to the park. I didn't know who it was. It was not part of the event. There was an old punk rock guy from Massachusetts. I only want to give him credit and say his name. Apparently, he was there at the band Black Flag. It was a black Black Flag Matters on his shirt. So I guess that was a disrespect to Black Lives Matter, and it attracted attention to the show. But that had nothing to do with it. It's just for some random guy that happened to run into an old friend from years ago. And unfortunately, he got on stage, and he did part of a song, and it blew up into a anti-BLM event, which there were people selling Black Lives Matter pins and 
other things in the park. Listen, the fact that people were making memes up of like, welcome to the New York hardcore show. And they had a split screen. It said storm the Capitol was the same thing. They've had two, they, they took the picture of two white people in the crowd and put a picture of the Capitol. Meanwhile, like I said, the bands that played the show, all of our friends, we, us, this is a family. This is the, one of the most diverse communities you'll ever find in anywhere in the world is the hardcore punk community. We have people from all types of life, all types of sexual orientation. There is no judgment. Our scene is about diversity. It's about, it is about being rebellious sometimes, but it's about diversity and about speaking your mind and also standing for, up for what you believe in. And I, I get emotional talking about it because it was, it was a beautiful day in the park. And I really think that there, whatever reason, there was a smear campaign out to make it look like it wasn't. All right, great. I'll leave it at that. Uh, just how do I introduce you? You're a promoter, a musician. Yes, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I am the uh, you know the owner operator of Black and Blue Productions, uh, uh, which is which is one of the uh, most uh, prevalent underground music production companies in New York City. And that's a reference to how you might look after slam dancing a bit in the mosh pit, not about black people versus police. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Listen, there were police there. There were fire department there. Honestly, it's probably the most diverse crowd that's been in a public park in probably since before Trump even took office. You have people who might be uh, enemies one day uh, mosh pitting and playing music and, and having a great time together. Uh, what's wrong with that? Thank <sighs> you very much. Nothing at all. And that's promoter Joseph Camerata. But Harvey Epstein, the assembly member who lives near the park and was there last week, says the violations of COVID rules were egregious and should be punished. But he stopped short of saying all permits should be pulled for the summer. First, this happened before the CDC issued regulations for vaccinated people, fully vaccinated people to be in an events with, uh, you know, without masks. And so we don't know about that crowd. Uh, Second was, and it was before anyway, second was that they had a stage and they had a permit for stage. They didn't have permits for sound. They then a permit said they were doing a 9-11 memorial, and it wasn't a 9-11 memorial. They claimed that they were going to have a couple hundred people. You know, I respect people's right to listen to music, and I respect the First Amendment. But as someone who goes to the Tompkins Square Park every single day, I walk my dog, I live very close to the park, this wasn't, this wasn't what what we expected it to be uh well where do we go from here uh, and this is one that didn't work out very well i guess you could say that at the same time they've been put on these shows without too many problems for a long time in fact they have a pretty good relationship with the police one of the reasons they get to do these events is because they they are tend to be peaceful and some other groups might not be as competent and maybe this is a one-off type of thing not a it really matters what you say in response when things happen and it's like it's an apology and that was our mistake. I'm not sure that's been their public-facing response. They're a bunch of punks. They're not going to probably say, I'm sorry. It'd be like choking out a... But at the same time, he was trying to say that, you know, this is a part of our culture here in the Lower East Side. It's part of the culture in the park. I didn't see the racial diversity you're referencing. And I oh. saw almost exclusively maskless crowd. And I saw an ex a crowd that was not socially distant. And I saw a crowd that was... You can see from videos of people doing like what you would in pre-COVID. This might lead to lawsuits, and they're not going to just take it laying down if they can't get a show, you know. Of course, sure, sure, of course. Another fight with the anarchists in Tompkins Square Park. Yeah, man, I'm pro people right right to be anarchists. I believe people have a right to uh, say what they think and act in accordingly. 
it's never a good idea in this neighborhood just to take a moment where they might have be a little bit down in public opinion because of something they did to then force them out of the park. I mean, that's been done before. No, I, I, I have no desire to force anyone out of the park. And to make the representation that I am forcing them out I'm of the park is not right. Okay, good. All, I'm saying, all good. I'm saying is I reported something to the Parks Commissioner, which I thought was really problematic, and they took what they deemed to be appropriate steps. I think that what happened wasn't wasn't good on Saturday. I think they should say mea culpa and and sit down with the parks department and figure out a plan forward. But to to like it's like there should be some kind of consequence for violating every single rule that you applied in a permit for. And as Harvey Epstein, the assembly member for the Lower East Side, a resident in the neighborhood is 81-year-old Philip Van Aver. He says despite being vaccinated, when he saw the crowd of unmasked revelers, he headed straight home. I was sitting by the transverse. When I left the park, I realized there was some kind of event going on. But because most people were all crowded together without wearing masks, I didn't want to get involved. What was going on? It was supposed to be 200, but 2,000 showed up and they weren't wearing masks. And Assemblymember Epstein saw it and he reported to the Parks Department, which just said, we're going to pull every one of their permits for the rest of the summer. What annoyed me was there were a lot of cops who were doing absolutely nothing. Now, I don't know what they're supposed to do. I was just very annoyed by their, their complete indifference and inactivity. Unmasked people should be, be prevented. There were also children there, but I just wanted to get home as soon as possible. I have had my first shot. How old are you? I'll be 82 on May 10th. And how long have you lived in the neighborhood? I've lived in the neighborhood since uh, February of 1969. You've seen it all. I have seen it all. <laughs> And in other news, a double hit to the WBAI family, another longtime and Lower East Side housing activist, Mary Ann Miller, has died. She had contracted COVID plus pneumonia. She was in the COVID ICU at Bellevue where she died. Philip Van Ever had known Mary Ann for decades. I haven't seen very much of her uh, recently. I have known her since the early 1980s. I was a member of the uh, steering committee of 3rd Avenue Tenants, which he was a founding member of. We had a falling out recently because I'm not in favor of commercial rent control. There's not enough money to administer the residential segment of it, let alone extending it to uh, commercial rent. Marianne and I have gone through quite a bit together. Philip Van Aver, a longtime WBAI listener, resident of the Lower East Side, and friend to Marianne Miller. And that's some of the news for Friday, April 30th, 2021. The news is produced at Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.